You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Come, Holy Spirit. Come like a fire and burn. Come like a wind and cleanse. Convict, convert, and consecrate our hearts to our great good and to thy great glory. Amen. Oh, the light came on. I was a little worried. (laughs) Somebody knew that I needed a light. As Mark Genelet reminded us in the sermon on Sunday, we have four different gospel books that tell the story of Jesus and particularly of his passion and death from four different points of view. It's the same story, but the foretellings are not alike. As we think about Holy Week and what it means, we learn different things from the different gospels. Matthew and Mark are the most similar, and one of the most striking similarities is that in Matthew and Mark, Jesus dies alone and abandoned. In Luke and John, there are a few disciples who stick around, a few women, and the beloved disciple known as traditionally as John. In order to understand Good Friday, we need to be able to hold both of these pictures in our hands, pictures that artists over the centuries have portrayed in two ways, both of them faithful to the biblical picture. One type of image shows the cross with John and Mary, his mother, the mother of Jesus, standing by. The other one, The other image shows Jesus on the cross alone in utter darkness. Alone in the dark. I, along with many others, have been shattered by some recent news concerning a faithful member of Grace Church in Manhattan where I used to serve with Paul Zoll, as a matter of fact. I'm going to call this man Bruce, although that's not his real name. He was very intelligent and had graduated from a major university, but he seemed to be alone in the world. He had absolutely no family nearby that we could tell. He was known to suffer from depression, and it was getting worse. He was in the grip of some alienating affliction. He spoke about this to a number of people over many months. Not long ago, Bruce met a fellow parishioner on the street near the church. He asked her to pray for a miracle for him. The miracle did not come. 
Three weeks ago, he jumped out of his seventh floor apartment. St. Paul writes that there are three predominant characteristics of the gathered Christian community. Faith, hope, and love. The condition of hopelessness, therefore, is profoundly challenging for the church. Hopelessness drives people to kill themselves. Hopelessness can also be called despair. The word despair in Latin is disperare, precisely meaning without hope, to give up hope. Despair is precisely the opposite of Christian faith because our hope in Jesus Christ is invincible. What then do we say about someone from our Christian community who has lost hope to such a degree that he destroys himself? On the cross, Jesus Christ appears to have experienced the condition of hopelessness. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? During his lifetime, Jesus always referred to God as his Father. In Luke's Gospel, he prays twice to my Father on the cross. But in Matthew and Mark, his only prayer is a despairing cry to a more impersonal God. There is nothing in either one of those Gospels to soften the desolation of his situation on the cross. It is his only word from the cross in either Matthew or Mark, the only one, Because this cry of dereliction, as it's called, is so difficult to think about and to absorb, we tend to flee to the softer sayings in Luke's Gospel. Holy Week summons us to place special focus on the apparent sense of abandonment that Mark and Matthew place at the heart of their passion narratives. About a year ago, I ran into Bruce at a conference. There were a lot of people buzzing around, a lot of social interaction. He seemed to be alone in the boisterous crowd. He came up to me and asked, him, and asked me if I could meet him later that day for coffee. I apologized and said, no, that I couldn't. I was tied up with commitments, which that particular day is true. He said with a little smile, well, maybe another time. 
Looking back, I think we both knew that there was not going to be another time. I don't live in Manhattan anymore, and I'm somewhat overwhelmed with the details of my own life. That was the last time I saw Bruce. I have replayed this scene a hundred times in my mind since I heard the news of his death. Why didn't I call him back to set up another time? Why didn't I try to make sure there was a group of people to keep a watch on him? Why didn't I find out what floor he lived on? Why didn't I give him the number of the Samaritan hotline? Some years ago, I preached a sermon with the title, Steering Toward the Pain. I got that title from a lecture that I heard at a suicide prevention seminar. The speaker counseled all of us when we were involved with a suicidal person to steer toward the pain. I understood what he meant at the time. I committed it to memory. I promised myself I would always heed that instruction to steer toward the pain. In the case of Bruce, I did not do it. I abandoned him to his despair. Now, I have also tried off and on to internalize another piece of advice, and that is to remember that I am not the only person in the world. I was not the only person in Bruce's line of sight. My failure to steer toward his pain was not the only one that he experienced that day, and in the days following, it was one of many. Nevertheless, I must acknowledge that in my opportunity, I failed, utterly, completely. I was surrounded by other social opportunities, and I steered away from his pain, and in the months that followed, I never turned back to it. In one person's suicide, any person's suicide, we are all involved. John Donne, perhaps the greatest preacher ever in the English language, wrote these famous words. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. On that Good Friday, outside the city walls of Jerusalem, the bell tolled for the Son of God. Such was his involvement in mankind. Not only did he consciously and deliberately steer toward human pain, he entered into it all the way to the bottom of despair. 
What he endured that day was an abandonment so great that for the first time in his human life, he apparently felt himself to be hopelessly cut off from his father. This sense began to overwhelm him in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before, just an hour or so before his betrayal and arrest. The accounts in the Gospels of the struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane are very important and very striking for their emphasis on the extremity of Jesus' situation as he struggled with his destiny. Mark uses the strongest language at his disposal to describe Jesus' emotion as he begged God to spare him what lay ahead. It's very important to recognize that Jesus did not beg God simply to save him from death, not even from such a particularly horrible death as crucifixion. No, commentators and interpreters over the centuries have agreed, have agreed that it was the dread of submitting to the realm of sin and death that he shrank from. We can say it even more strongly. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that our Lord was made sin. It's a strange expression to be made sin. Two clicks on the internet will take you to all kinds of interpretations and complicated disputes about what it all means. I think perhaps Paul meant it to sound strange in order to get us to pay attention. Let me read the complete verse. It goes like this. For our sake, and let me suggest that we can add today two, two thoughts to that. For our sake, for the sake of those who commit suicide, and for the sake of people who failed to steer toward their pain. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now we can say this for sure. In Gethsemane, Jesus set his face like a flint, steered toward the pain, never changed his course, and followed that path all the way down to hell. Yes, hell. The hell of being abandoned by God and by man. Abandoned into the icy grip of sin and death abandoned into a universe without pity, without love, without hope, without God forever and ever. In many Episcopal churches, perhaps this one, we still say in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. 
But many, if not most churches, have changed that to he descended to the dead or they have omitted it altogether. I have written at length, if you'll forgive this personal reference, I've written at length in my book, The Crucifixion, about why I think we should hold on to the idea that Jesus entered into the realm of the enemy, the Lord of death. Satan is what Jesus called him, the ruler of the dominion of hopelessness. You know Dante wrote about the gate to hell. Abandon hope, all you who enter here. What is the message here for Bruce? What is the message for those of us who failed Bruce? What is the message for the people here today, and I know there must be some, who are personally acquainted with the idea or the reality of suicide? Suicide strikes in every congregation. It has been said that despair is above all the one thing forbidden to a Christian but sometimes the power of despair is simply too great for us without a deliverer. Human sin, negligence, selfishness, ignorance, weakness, timidity, distractedness, all of these things played their part in the drama played in Bruce's life by the powers of sin and death. We have to find a balance between compassion on the one hand and on the other hand sentimentalizing and even valorizing suicide so that people come to think of it as many do today as an act of romantic courage rather than sheer and utter desperation. Our tender-mindedness, our need to put the best face on things, may not always be the most helpful course to take. Bruce's mother, we've learned, also committed suicide. Suicide can be catching, we've learned. A person very close to me, a devout Roman Catholic, told me years ago, that she had considered suicide many times, but had not gone through with it because she was afraid she would go to hell. I'm not sure that's a bad thing. To this day, she struggles with the idea of suicide, but she resists it. Her courage is the daily struggle not to give in to the power of death and hell. As you can easily imagine, I've had plenty of misgivings about this particular sermon, and I have wondered up to a few hours ago if I should discard it. I have stayed with it as a signpost to the dereliction of Jesus on the cross, the one thing that Mark and Matthew felt we needed to know. But is it enough to say 
that Jesus went through what we go through, so he understands what we are feeling. I don't think so. We need to understand this in another way. Hell is the absence of hope, the absence of light, the absence of love, the absence of God. Jesus experienced on the cross the absence of God and steering toward the pain descended into that hell, experiencing the absolute worst. And on the third day, he emerged with the battle flag of victory, Christ the Conqueror. Light and life return with him. There is nothing, not even suicide, not even the failure of others to prevent suicide, that can negate the victory of Jesus Christ over sin, death, and the devil. My prayer is that we will hear these words in that light and in that power today. Listen for the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or despair or hopelessness? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Loved us to the end, as Jesus says in John's Gospel. He loved us to the end. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am certain that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our Father, whoever is here today who has known hopelessness, 
who has known weakness, who has known not to know what to do, who has known that he or she did not do what they should have done or did what we should not have done and there is no health in us. O Lord, speak directly to us today, to every heart, to every soul, and make the victory and the conquest over death, hell, and hopelessness living in us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.